here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. I am Benjamin Day. And I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Except for Bernie Sanders for breaking my heart, you bastard. Oh, no. <laughs> Just Bernie, kidding. say it ain't so. Yeah, okay. I, we decided that we aren't actually going to leave anybody out this week because we need all hands on deck now to push for Medicare for All. Man, it is also a rough week to leave anyone out. So it things, is a rough week. Shit's getting real this week. Um, so in honor of Bernie dropping out of the race, um, we thought we would play a short clip about uh, what he has to say about Medicare for All as he exits during, he gave like a little concession speech from home in Vermont. Even before this horrific pandemic we are now experiencing, more and more Americans understood that we must move to a Medicare for All single-payer program. During the primary elections, exit polls showed in state after state, a strong majority of Democratic primary voters supported a single government health insurance program to replace private insurance. That was true even in states where our campaign did not prevail. In every single state, all Democratic voters overwhelmingly support Medicare for All. But it's actually not news um, if you've been following polling for a while, because, in fact, you know, a majority of Americans for quite a long time now, at least a decade, have supported Medicare for All, even before Bernie ran for president. Um, and I think really what's happening is that Bernie uh, gave political legitimacy to Medicare for All. Um, he actually made it so that we could demand it from, um, we could demand what we wanted, what we've always supported, Medicare for All, uh, from our elected officials. And I think that that is really actually, it's not that Bernie Sanders brought Medicare for All to the masses and, you know, created this huge uh, bump in support for Medicare for All, but that he just gave people permission to ask for it. Yeah, I think, and I mean, there were some polls from a few years back where there was even way more support for Medicare for All. And I think partly that's because they've changed how they word these polls now. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much universally, all the polling firms now use more biased. Uh, they don't actually use the phrase Medicare for All because they know it polls well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, before Bernie ran the first time in 2016, there was uh, just a massive gap between the Democratic base and Democrats in Congress and running for for uh, president. Um, and I think his biggest accomplishment is to have started to close that gap that we now have, you know, majority, uh, bare majority support in, in Congress, in the House. Um, he got, you know, more than a dozen senators on board for the first time. Um, so to me, that was like the real accomplishment was starting to close the democracy gap within the Democratic Party, yeah. which is no no minor thing, actually. <laughs> I was so sad when I saw that text this morning saying like Bernie Sanders has a special announcement to make. I was like, ooh, maybe he's going to quit his campaign to start an actual revolution. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Yeah. 
it's it's demoralizing um i think it i mean he he had no pathway anyway to to becoming the nominee i don't think um at this stage but um it's demoralizing to see kind of uh no champion left on the stage for kind of the basic rights that especially mm-hmm. at this moment during the coronavirus crisis have become so obvious and glaring um and I have this moment every four years, it turns out. <laughs> so, um, although, as you were saying, um, I don't think Bernie himself had a huge impact on um, on polling numbers, at least for Medicare for All. Um, one thing that has had a major impact is coronavirus, it turns out. Hmm. Um, we got our very first kind of post-coronavirus poll from the morning consult, Um and they showed just a massive jump, uh, almost 10% increase in national support for Medicare for All, um, just you know month over month between February and March for Medicare for All. So coronavirus did what Bernie Sanders has been trying to do these past years. Yeah, well, I, coronavirus for president. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> Is that an unpopular move? <laughs> yeah, um, I think that this is really sort of a turning point um, in terms of the conversation about Medicare for all. Um, I'm seeing pollsters who are already like, you know, will this bump endure through the virus, which is just such a terrible hot take. I mean, will people forget that they lost their jobs and their health insurance during the apocalypse? Like, I don't think that that's, you know, just a blip on the, the radar of the trajectory of their lives. And I think that, you know, we're, what we're living through truly is a generational defining moment. And we're watching, you know, watching our healthcare system buckle under the pressure of this crisis is really going to stick with people. Um, it's definitely going to stick with me. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, I mean, what has really been exposed uh, exposed the the employer based healthcare system hasn't been coronavirus per se, but the economic crisis caused by coronavirus. Um, and even I think once we start getting the public health crisis a little bit under control, we are still going to have this economic crisis to deal with, and it's unclear how long that's going to last. Um, but it is going to translate into a healthcare crisis of epic proportions, I think, um, if we don't fix the healthcare system. Yeah, and I think that this is really an opportunity for us to institute um, fixes in our safety net. For example, Spain uh, is right now instituting permanent universal basic income. First, you know, it was Hmm. precipitated by the virus, but this is something that their party has wanted to do for a long time. And this has given them an Mm -hmm. option or given them an opportunity to finally get the ball rolling on that program. Is this because Andrew Yang has moved to Spain? Or... <laughs> no. <laughs> Very um, big man of history uh, take there, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in terms of this, how how enduring is the impact on um, people's opinion towards Medicare for all? Um, I think the, the biggest thing this crisis has done, I, I think people are always going to have some anxieties and worries about Medicare for all especially since so many people in the United States have zero um, experience with other countries, any other countries, and the ones that do have universal health care. So attack ads and scaremongering are going to continue to work. But what the crisis has really done, I think, is ex- exposed all of the alternatives as just stupid and totally inadequate. I mean, flashback to some of these debates we had within the Democratic Party with Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. Uh, I mean, think about... 
the phrase you can you know you should be able to keep your workplace health insurance if you like it today right i mean uh, i dare them the, the truth i dare joe biden yeah. to come out and say it it the phrase hasn't spilled out of anyone's mouth yet <laughs> and there's a good reason for it i mean it was a lie to start with right their plan uh when you maintain this employer-based health care you can't keep your health insurance if you want it. You can only keep it if your boss wants to continue to give it to you and if the economy wants to let, <laughs> allow you to have have the job in the first place. Um, so it was a lie then, but I think it has just totally exposed how stupid linking health insurance to the workplace is. Um, and I, I was actually thinking the other day about what is what is now the Republicans' health care plan during the coronavirus crisis. <laughs> um, I have not heard the words repeal Obamacare come out of any <laughs> Republicans lips since this crisis started. And I don't think it's an accident anymore because um, it would be like political suicide. I think with, you know, 40 million potentially unemployed uh, tens of millions of new people uninsured to now like pull out the, the skimpy remaining safety net that, that last that, that, that is left to them. Yeah, and I wonder if they're actually going to try it again after this is over. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's going to be a lot harder for mm -hmm. them to make a case, even when the virus, the coronavirus crisis has passed, to uh, actually advocate for repealing Obamacare. Yeah, and I think we'll find out. I mean, I'm assuming that the next relief bill, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is going to have something for health care um, to address the health care crisis or the, the loss of health insurance crisis. And so the, my question is, what is the right position going to be on that? The rights like take, and I suspect it's going to be massive public subsidies for for-profit insurance plans. Uh, they'll try and find some way to like funnel public funds through um, corporate uh, uh, sort of middlemen, like we sort of do in Medicaid and Medicare to some extent. But I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll we're about to find out in the next few weeks. So moving along now to one of the most interesting stories I've heard come out of the coronavirus. Uh, New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo announced uh, that he has met with New York hospital leaders and come up with a plan to, in effect, merge them into one operating system with many different locations. So why are they doing this? Um, well, partially because they're sort of anticipating a rolling apex, uh, which just means that the virus is going to sort of move slowly through the state. Um, and so even New York City, which is being hit really hard right now and doesn't have the uh, resources to deal with it, it's not going to be the only one. Uh, you know, just the city itself isn't going to be the only place that this is hit in New York. So from Buffalo to the city, hospitals are going to be, you know, under this one operating system. They're going to be sharing staff, patients, and supplies for the uh, foreseeable future with uh, the Albany overseeing the distribution of the resources. Um, let's listen to Como uh, describe the plan. Right now, basically, the hospital system's operators basically separate systems. You have the public hospitals, you have the Greater New York hospitals, you have Westchester hospitals, you have Long Island hospitals, and then you have upstate hospitals. And they have their own trade associations and public are public and then the privates are the privates. We said we have to work as one system. So share staff, share resources. If one hospital is, uh, doesn't have enough masks, rather than that hospital have to scramble let the other hospitals help. More mutual, Ken's word is a good one, a healthcare family, as opposed to these distinct 
uh, operations. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we called Medicare for All instead the Healthcare Family Act, <laughs> <laughs> Cuomo would have supported it, <laughs> which he has not so far. <laughs> yeah, does that sound like uh, single payer or does that sound even one step further to the socialization of the healthcare system? No, absolutely. I mean, we are really talking here about socialized medicine. <laughs> um, I mean, if not publicly owned, I mean, we're not talking about public ownership of the delivery system of hospitals and health centers, but we are talking about public uh, management and coordination of all staffing across the entire system, um, which, you know, socialized medicine, that's the word that people use to attack Medicare for all by association, which is, um, and often I think Medicare for all advocates, you know, get back on their heels and they're like, oh, no, no, we're not talking about socialized medicine. Uh, we're just talking about, you know, socialized health insurance. Um, but it turns out that you actually need socialized medicine also <laughs> during uh, during a, a crisis and even not during a crisis. I mean, um, I can give a, a personal example just from three or four weeks ago. Um I spoke at a picket that nurses were running uh, uh, outside of St. Elizabeth's Hospital here in Boston. Um, and the reason they were picketing was that they were having uh, massive staffing shortages um, or just far, far too many patients uh, given the, the current uh, nurse staffing they had, especially in the intensive care unit. And this was before the coronavirus crisis, like one week before the coronavirus crisis. Um, and they had agreements with the hospital about staffing ratios and the hospital was ignoring them. And the reason why they were ignoring them is because they kept sending intensive care patients to the ICU at St. Elizabeth's, even when they were over capacity, but when other hospitals had plenty of capacity. Now, why would they do that? Because they don't want to lose the profits of an intensive care patient, right? So they would try and keep the profits within the system. St. Elizabeth's, this is the old Catholic hospital system in Boston that was sold to a for-profit like private equity firm and is now trying to make money off of it. So they're closing some hospitals and they're implementing these abhorrent practices elsewhere. Um, and so I think even without coronavirus, um, you know, we, we need sort of a, a sane distribution of healthcare resources across our healthcare system. Otherwise, we end up with these uh, really dangerous situations where just to make a profit, um, hospitals are overpacking their ICUs. And it's definitely not tenable during coronavirus. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about this um, clip was that Como has sort of punted on Medicare for all before. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's a big campaign running in his state, the campaign for New York Health, that's trying to get uh, a Medicare for, or rather a single payer bill in the state of New York passed. And he has basically said, you know, look, the federal government should pass Medicare for all. California tried to do it. This is a direct quote. California has tried to do it. Vermont has tried to do it. Nobody has been successful. It's not for states to do. Mm -hmm. And he just showed them all up <laughs> by <Yeah. laughs> socializing the uh, the hospital system in the state. Um, so just like there are no atheists in, in foxholes, there are no capitalists in pandemics. <laughs> well put. Um, and it's also, it's amazing to me how many things uh, there was like widespread concern trolling about 
prior oh, yeah. to the crisis and now it's like we just do this shit right <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like how are we going to afford these trillions of dollars for medicare for all which actually costs less than our current healthcare system and now it's like just dumping trillions of dollars out there no questions asked it's like they know we have to do this um and it's the same thing with cuomo he's like concerned trolling about can we really do it at the state level? And now he's like implementing almost a socialized medicine style system uh, overnight. I mean, in that press conference, he's like, oh, yeah, we met with everyone and we did this two hours ago. Exactly. And it's it has been so infuriating to think about, as you're saying, all the cons- concern trolling that has happened over the past couple of years. In fact, we had some activists in Michigan who bird dogged their senator, um, Debbie Stabenow, I believe about Mm -hmm. Medicare for All. And her response was that Medicare for All would never be able to be transitioned to within a four-year period and that the experts that she's speaking to are signaling that more like a 10-year transition would be appropriate. Mm. And now we're doing some of these things, covering testing, socializing hospitals, all that stuff, basically overnight. And it just it yeah. just shows how full of shit they are. And I think that was the Kamala Harris plan, was a 10-year transition, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they must have been listening so to the same to experts. Right. <laughs> So um, I think something else really important that we're starting to learn more about that we should talk about is uh, coronavirus is obviously not impacting all communities the same. Um, and those who do get infected aren't being treated the same way by the healthcare system. Um, so I wanted to just start off by kicking to some audio from CBS Chicago, who's going to talk about how coronavirus is like playing out in Chicago. Of the 98 deaths related to this virus in Chicago, 72% are black residents of the city. Consider Chicago is only 30% black as of the last census. And of those black residents who died, the vast majority had diabetes or heart disease. Those numbers take your breath away. In a press conference today with community leaders, Mayor Lightfoot announcing plans to create a racial equity rapid response team and new requirements for health care providers to provide deeper data sets on all patients to try and track vulnerable patients more thoroughly. Damn, that's so tragic. Um, it's impossible not to acknowledge here um, that there are huge structural factors um, in our healthcare system and just in our society that leads to this level of disparity. You know, 70% of the deaths in Chicago are African-American. That's just so devastating. Coronavirus, um, of course, is much more dangerous for those with certain pre-existing mm-hmm. conditions like asthma, diabetes, um, and African-Americans are much more likely to live in areas with higher levels of pollution, which is correlated with rates of asthma, of course. I think there's data showing that the closer you live in certain increments to a big mm. highway, that just increases mm-hmm. proportionally like your um, your risk for having asthma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, of course, uh, African-Americans are much more likely to be low income and suffer all the stressors from that which is correlated, again, with health conditions like diabetes and heart issues. And then finally, you have to acknowledge the additional stressor of racism and you know their day-to-day experience with white supremacy. Um, so this is not just a failing of our healthcare system, of course, um, but a result of so many other things, poor investment in public health, income inequality, and also our refusal as a society to tackle racism and the racial hierarchy. 
Yeah, and I mean, for Chicago's sake, first of all, thank God they have Lori Lightfoot and not Rahm Emanuel (laughs) at the the helm right now. Um, I mean, she actually created a racial equity task force. Rahm Emanuel would probably just like rationalize this shit. Um, But uh, yeah, and I, I saw another story that was equally disturbing. I mean, I think this is the moment where you just see the layers of structural racism all interacting with each other. Right. It's uh, all of the public health impacts. It's like the the impacts of uh, of redlining um, in the housing market. Um, it's all of the inequities in the health in access to health care. Um, you know, even those who get diabetes, obviously, this is something where if you have good access to health care, you can really uh, keep your diabetes under control. You can maintain it more. And then it's less of less likely to interact with coronavirus to really threaten your life. Um, uh, but I, I also saw um, a story in, about uh, Tennessee, where in Nashville, in downtown Nashville, they've had three drive-through testing centers for almost a month now that they have not been able to operate because they couldn't acquire enough um, personal protective equipment for to safely staff the, the drive-through testing centers. And one of them was outside of Meharry Medical College, which is like one of the only historically black medical uh, medical colleges mm. in, in the country. Uh, outside, their te- they have a testing center they could not use. And the only testing centers that were actually running in the Nashville area were in Bellmead and Brentwood, which are white suburbs of Nashville. And they were being run by the Vanderbilt Medical Center. So uh, obviously it's a richer, you know, more wealthy. Uh, they have better access. They can get the stuff. And this is just, uh, it's so infuriating. Um, and this is also contributing to all these racial inequities. Um, and, and the same exact pattern was being found in the Memphis area, where testing sites were only in affluent, like, white suburban areas. Um, and the other thing that really shocked me is that the CDC is not tracking coronavirus data by race at all. So we literally, you know, this is why we're getting bits and pieces from like one city and another city. Um, But I think when the smoke is like cleared a little bit, we could find that the, the racial inequities of this crisis are just like extraordinary and really, really disturbing. Um, I hope that's not the case, but what little glimpses we're seeing seem to point in that direction. And I'm sorry, but why is the CDC not tracking coronavirus data by race? God, I, I mean, don't know. Um, I, it's totally perplexing to me. I mean, we do know that the Trump administration has, like, waged war on, you know, tried to add questions to the census about, you know, that would deter immigrants from answering the census. Um, so I don't know if their hand is in this. Um, I don't know if they don't have access to the data, um, but... Because uh, it, it, it looks like a lot of states aren't collecting the data either. So maybe that's where the root of the problem is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in regards to the testing, that is absolutely one area that Medicare for all and a more equitable system mm-hmm. would be able to fix just by redistributing resources from wealthy, generally white areas to lower income mm-hmm. communities, which are predominantly people of color. Um, these sorts of things that we're seeing where there are some areas where there is drive-through testing happening in other areas where they don't e- can't even set it up. That's just not something that should be happening in a, you know, a Medicare for all or a single payer system. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is the same thing where it's like states and hospitals bidding against each other. And what we're seeing here is like it's literally different hospital systems within the same system 
are bidding against each other <laughs> trying to get Sorry. access to medical resources and those with privilege are getting it um, and those who represent low-income communities and communities of color are not getting the resources they need to treat their communities um, one other shocking thing uh, uh, Rubik's Life Sciences which is based here in Massachusetts um, they reviewed billing information in several states um, and what they found was that um, for people exhibiting the same exact symptoms like a cough and fever, African-Americans were less likely to be given a coronavirus test uh, than white oh my patients. Um, and that's Following just... the same trend as, you know, not having their pain taken as exactly. seriously yep. and being kicked out of the hospital earlier and all the other things that minorities experience. Yeah, it's one of these situations where racial bias really rears its head because it's such a subjective evaluation. Um, you're kind of seeing people with symptoms and providers have to decide... You know, are they bad? I mean, we really should be testing everyone with us with a fever um, and flu-like symptoms. Um, but w given the total failure to develop testing and the poor access to testing, you're rationing it, and then the providers have to choose who gets it and who doesn't. And that's exactly where bias is going to like totally, I think, uh, take over the decision-making process. Yeah, and I mean, we need to work on all of these intersections to prevent. This kind, these kinds of devastating disparities that we're seeing with the coronavirus. I mean, Medicare for all alone isn't going to fix this. But I will say that so long as we have a profit-driven health insurance system, you know, that serves those who can pay at the expense of those who cannot, we will have a racist healthcare system. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So let's look ahead at what is next for Congress. So far, they've passed a bill giving people some temporary cash, one-time cash relief, and a mandate that insurers cover testing for the coronavirus, but still no treatment. Mm -hmm. So there's still going to be, hopefully, more relief bills um, in the pipe. Um, one big item that has not been addressed is all of these people who are losing their jobs and their health insurance. Mm -hmm. So what do we expect that Congress is going to do about this, and what are we going to fight for? Yeah, I mean... I think the, the total absence of any uh, attempt to address what's going to be a crisis of uninsurance in the last relief bill or the first whatever three relief bills um, is that's going to force them to, to do another an, uh, another step, another relief bill in the next month. Um, there was already indications, you know, Republicans didn't want to do a further bill, um, but I think it's going to be become impossible to ignore this. And there's going to be a real fight over what that looks like, I'm sure. Um, I thought there was a really good op-ed that Jesse Jackson uh, published in the Chicago Sun-Times um, about what we should fight for. Um, and he said, you know, quote, all should be reassured that their costs will be covered. Congress went part of the way with the last rescue pack package. It should finish the job, preferably by having Medicare pay for all costs directly. Um, um, and then he says, you know, but we shouldn't be satisfied with single-payer coverage just during a massive pandemic. This crisis exposes dramatically the foolishness of pretending that healthcare is a private marketplace. Um, he says this pandemic gives ample evidence why we need to move to a Medicare for all system. Um, I agree with all that, and I think we've seen something similar from you know Bernie Sanders, from Ro Khanna, from the House leadership within the Progressive Caucus, um, pushing for something like Medicare should cover basically all all medical expenses during this crisis, or or for those everyone who becomes uninsured during this crisis. Um, but I don't know what you think will be the alternative, Stephanie. There's probably going to be multiple <laughs> alternatives, but 
I expect that this is where the healthcare industry is going to roll out their lobbyists and will try to make a money grab um, and try to make the most out of this, um, uh, you know, turn this into an opportunity for their for their bottom lines. What I would love to see is an expansion of Medicare to all the uninsured groups. Just allow them to be on Medicare, not like a buy-in or whatever, but Mm -hmm. just enroll them in Medicare. Um, What we're more seeing is that the establishment is coalescing around the idea of the government paying for all of the coronavirus care um, and then bargaining with health insurance companies not to jack their rates mm-hmm. next year. So right. basically, what does this what does this mean? They're saying that this COVID care for all, which is the proposal that you know the New York Times has pushed out through the editorial board, um, it would cover the cost for even those who were insured, meaning that the government would be paying for mm-hmm. crisis care while insurance companies continue to profit. So again socializing companies and then you know screwing over the the taxpayer and you know individuals who are on private health insurance plans i mean who fucking wants that yeah and again as we talked about last week um this totally ignores the fact that tens of millions are going to lose all their health insurance and their access to all health care um and that that is going to kill hundreds and thousands of people um not from coronavirus necessarily but uh, you know, due to failure to be able to afford cancer care or diabetes care or all the other medical needs that you have. Um, but I, I do think that that's where kind of the centrist Democrat push is coming. Um, and this thing that you brought up in passing about premiums going up next year, that is going to be like the second part of this, uh, of what happens here. Because what we've been hearing is that coronavirus is going to be so expensive, just caring for it across the country, the people who get it, um, insurance companies are, you know, every year they set their premiums kind of based on what they expect um, medical costs will care for everyone that they're covering and, you know, what they want to take in profits from you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that, but, you know, if there is a situation like this, a pandemic where medical costs are way higher than they anticipated, um, what they do is the next year they jack the rates way up to cover their loss from the previous year. So what we've been hearing is that premiums could go up uh, as much as 40% next year, which is like, it's unthinkable. I mean, already a family health insurance plan costs over $25,000. I'm bad at math. I don't know what 40% of $25,000 on top of 25000 is, but I'm pretty sure it's, you know, that's more than $40,000, right? I mean, that's a whole salary people cannot pay that under any circumstances it's amazing that they're already paying what they are paying now right. yes it's already impossible to afford <laughs> um, but that would be a tipping point moment um, so it it I think they are already starting to position themselves like well we'll let the government cover all that expensive and taxpayers cover the expensive care and then we'll leave the profits to the insurance companies so that they can cover the, the ordinary care Um, And it will also obfuscate the real villain here, right? If the government takes responsibility for paying for the expensive stuff, mm -hmm. then we don't get to see, you know, the impact that coronavirus had on the health insurance system because we don't get to see really the subsidization. Um, And I think that that's, you know, it's a win-win for the insurance companies for that reason. Yeah. And also, if they're not paying for coronavirus... 
people's use of all other health care is actually plummeting right now because people yeah. are staying away from hospitals so they don't get coronavirus. Um, so people aren't getting the procedures they need. They're, everything is being put off if it's conceivable to put it off. Um, you know, they're trying to create these like non-coronavirus separate hospitals <laughs> um, that they're setting up all over the place so they can continue at least the most urgent needed, urgently needed care. But if you take the coronavirus expenses off of these private insurance companies, which is what we pay them for, for situations like this, um, they're going to see a huge windfall. It's going to be massive profits for them. So all y'all listening, please get ready to start organizing around this next relief bill. Uh, we are going to make sure that we use this as an opportunity to move our healthcare system in the direction of Medicare for all, where it needs to end up. Um, and we're not going to allow for-profit health insurance companies to hold this over our head and hold our premiums hostage. And that is absolutely not on the menu. So uh, I'm excited to organize for this and please stay tuned for that. Yeah, I mean, this is the moment where we not only, it's not just like an opportunity to fight for Medicare for all, it's like we really need this like right now. We have to win something like this just to deal with this crisis in April. Um, so I hope you all get ready. We're going to close since this is Bernie's final hurrah. We're going to end with a little clip from him talking about just how um, coronavirus has changed the landscape of um, what seems rational <laughs> around healthcare and Medicare for all. This current horrific crisis that we are now in has exposed for all to see how absurd our current employer-based health insurance system is. The current economic downturn we are experiencing has not only led to a massive loss of jobs, but has also resulted in millions of Americans losing their health insurance. While Americans have been told over and over again how wonderful our employer-based private insurance system is, those claims sound very hollow today as a growing number of unemployed workers struggle with how they can afford to go to the doctor or not go bankrupt with a huge hospital bill. We have always believed that healthcare must be considered as a human right, not an employee benefit, and we are right. <laughs>